Welcome to the e-commerce made simple podcast. I'm your host, Jérôme de Guigny. This is the 40th episode of our podcast and everyone knows life begins at 40. So this is the most important or from now on, the podcast will be really interesting. And today we're talking about a really interesting topic, which is Japan. Hold on, hold on. The the podcast is always interesting, Jerome, to me. You shouldn't say, you shouldn't discount your own hard work over the last 39 editions of this podcast. They've all been very informative. They've all been very, you shouldn't put yourself down like that. Thank you so much, um, uh, Joel. Actually, I was only bragging that we did 40, so that's okay, you know. And I was wondering, have you ever been to Japan? Have you Did you do any shopping in, in Japan? Never been to Japan, ever. Although uh, I do, I have just, from Amazon, I have just bought some very interesting Japanese trousers full of uh, Japanese writing and pictures of cats. That's so, too much information, Joel. They've probably got the, the, it's probably like Japanese obscenities or something. But no, I've never been to Japan. I should like to go to the January the 4th wrestling show at the Tokyo Dome. But uh, that hasn't happened yet. But I know you've been to Japan. Yes. And, and to be fair, Japan is an enormous opportunity for anyone selling on Amazon. It's probably the third or the fourth biggest market in the world for Amazon. So it's certainly a market you will want to address if you go, you grow internationally. The thing is, as you know, if you've been there or you probably heard about, Japan is, is a complex market. It's also like the language works totally differently. It's not like you, you translate it easily. You have different idioms or different ways of, of reading it, of writing it. So so it it's, it adds complexity. So going to Japan, you it's a bit like uh, for anyone who doesn't know about VAT in Europe or about uh, I don't know uh, other things which are complex. Japan is that extra level of of complexity. Big market, big potential, but you need to know a bit of stuff before you you go there. And that's exactly what we will talk about with Ritu Java, who's uh, built up uh, an agency which really helps people grow and go into uh, Japan because she lived there uh, and she's still uh, partially living there. So if you're interested in, in growing internationally, please listen in and enjoy the show. So welcome everyone. I'm very happy today to talk about um, like a, a market we we know all about, but we don't know much about the details, uh, which is Japan. So from uh, from my experience and from the numbers I have. Japan is the third biggest market in the Amazon world. So obviously the US is enormous and you have Germany actually. And then the third one is, is Japan, which is in front of the UK. And so a lot of brands will focus a lot on, on the UK, but actually it's, it's, it's behind the two others, which are Germany and, and Japan. So today we have a, a, a specialist of the Japanese market and we'll get to know a bit about Ritu. We are really happy because we managed finally to meet face-to-face -face in, in, on the Prosper show in Las Vegas uh, two weeks ago. So that was great. We finally start to meet with uh, people again. And uh, as if you're familiar with, with this show, you will know that we always start with a fun fact about our guests. So Ritu, please, what's your fun fact today? So my fun fact is that I often dream in Japanese. <laughs> and, and the reason for that is that, that I lived in Japan for 17 years and uh, I learned the language there. I can read, write and speak. And so oftentimes when I have my like, worst nightmares, they somehow come out in Japanese. <laughs> okay, we, we, won't, <laughs> we won't dive into why, it, but 
a question. Do you need to dream in Japanese to be successful on Amazon Japan? <laughs> um, not really. <laughs> okay, so that's a good, good news for most of us. Yes, um, <laughs> so maybe you can give us a bit uh, more about your daily life so we know about what's happening in, in your nights and how you dream now a bit more about who you are and what's your job and why are you so knowledgeable about Japan? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so my name is Bitu Java and I'm the CEO and co-founder of PPC Ninja. Uh, and we uh, provide software uh, for advertisers, so PPC software, uh, which works in all markets, including Japan, of course, um, as well as uh, we're also an agency uh, that manages uh, sponsored uh, advertising and DSP for uh, six, seven, and eight-figure brands. So that's um, pretty much my day job. Like I'm constantly <laughs> working during the day. In the evenings, I like to do Zumba and things like that. I uh, also hike on weekends. Great. So thank you very much. So you 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 work basically on Amazon in the US and Japan. About those two markets where you predominantly work. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we have, um, you know, we have a team that uh, is based in Japan. So uh, there's, uh, you know, people who help to translate as well as uh, run PPC. Um, and um, yes, we, we manage uh, all markets, um, but specifically the US, which is the biggest one. And as you rightly mentioned, um, Amazon Japan is the third largest, if not, you know, the, it could be the fourth. I mean, we, we really don't know uh, that number because Amazon has um, reported it to be the third largest in some places and fourth largest in some places. So it's around three and four and maybe close to UK, but maybe a little bit ahead. Um, and, um, you, know, I, you know, I've been involved in, uh, in the Japanese market um, when I was a seller in uh, Japan. I, I used to be a seller on Etsy, not not on Amazon. So that was uh, the start of my e-commerce journey about 10 years ago. Uh, but in the recent uh, five or six years, I've been in the Amazon um, space. And um, you know, because of our software, we, we get a chance to kind of interact with a lot of people who are looking for um, expansion. And that's why you know, our topic for today, because people start with the US or the UK and then get, get established in those markets. And then you know, it's, it makes sense to uh, repurpose some of the content that you already have, right? All the marketing that you've already done. And then you want to expand it to other markets and leverage those assets. So uh, that's pretty much how um, it's been for a lot of sellers. Now, Japan presents some new challenges, different challenges that we're probably going to be talking about today uh, that make it a very different market from all the, the English speaking markets, as well as the newer markets that Amazon is you know, uh, opening up for for sellers now. Okay, and so if if we look at the the, the J Japanese or like all the Amazon Japan opportunity, like if we start look at the why a bit, why would brands want to go there? So the first obvious reason is that it's like third or fourth market on on Amazon, and it's a, a big potential. Do you see other main reasons or why some brands go to to Japan or should consider Japan outside of uh, only sales? And and is like those sales so difficult that it's less of an opportunity? How would you weigh like the challenges and, and opportunities for the uh, Japanese Amazon Japan market? Yeah, so Amazon uh, Japan is a very mature market. It's been around for at least 10 years. 
So compared to some of the newer markets like Turkey or uh, Netherlands or any of the other newer ones, this has been around for 10 years as FBA. So, you know, all of the kinks have kind of been ironed out and things are pretty stable at this point. And uh, there are sellers that are, you know, uh, expanding to Japan actively. Uh, the opportunity lies with, um, you know, the people who have mature brands in other markets, um, but they don't know how to go to Japan. And so it's almost like, an, you know, a lot of gaps and lots of opportunities waiting to be grabbed. Uh, now, it's not, you know, uh, all, you know, um, you know, easy because it's uh, this complexities with um, uh, establishing yourself there and uh, also getting the localization right and getting the tax compliance and other, um, you know, fun stuff like that, right? Um, and there's also challenges uh, with kind of dealing with seller support there because oftentimes, you know, especially with aggregators uh, who are, you know, buying up brands and then expanding them to Japan, for example, there might be elements of challenge there because uh, it's not, you know, especially because of the language barrier, there might be extra hurdles in getting uh, some of the, um, you know, challenging aspects of, uh, you know, getting your listings approved or getting some, something. Is yeah. Yeah. Is seller support speaking English or is it better to be Japanese speaking to get understood from the seller as support? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. They dip into the, the entire pool and uh, there's there, there will be specialists uh, with the Japanese language. For the most part, it's not going to be that hard. You can communicate with English speakers. Uh, but, you know, if you're a big brand and you need an account executive, for example, and that's typically starts when you, you know, begin to get, uh, I don't know, upwards of 10 million uh, yen and, and more. Uh, that's when, you know, you will be, you will be speaking with an account executive who is Japanese, but they might have the ability to communicate in English. Um, however, it could be challenging because it's a, you know, it's, they're not natives, right? So there will be some challenges, but it's not that terrible given the fact that Amazon is uh, pretty consistent, uh, you know, worldwide in in their canned responses as well as um, uh, in the way they operate, right? The seller centrals uh, across uh, all Amazon marketplaces are fairly similar, you know, in the way they operate. So uh, while it is a little challenging, it's not something that should prevent you from considering Japan. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there. Some more facts that I'd like to mention about the Japanese market. One is that, um, you know, uh, according to Amazon, 71% of Japanese shoppers um, shop online. So that's a pretty huge percentage, right? Uh, in addition, you know, COVID has just made e-commerce better for everybody. Uh, if I look at the, um, the uh, organic, uh, uh, you know, visits uh, charts from SEMrush or any of the other uh, websites tracking Amazon COJP, it shows that during the COVID months, uh, start onset of COVID, um, there was like a huge surge in uh, people, you know, visiting Amazon.com, even though Amazon is not the first uh, e-commerce marketplace, there's Rakuten, who is like a big giant competitor to Amazon, and they're kind of neck to neck with, you know, the, their, um, revenue, um, although Rakuten has a lot more uh, visitors than Amazon. Um, so um, yeah, I would say that the e-commerce market is primed for any kind of, um, you know, uh, merchants who are willing to explore Japan. So that's one uh, thing. And then Japanese people are by and large very tech savvy. 
there's 80% smartphone adoption in Japan. And if you want to just compare it to another data point with the US, US smartphone adoption, adoption is about 69%. So it's, it just is a very mature market when it comes to people you know, knowing how to use their smartphones, purchasing online. Mobile is pretty big in Japan. Um, and yeah, I mean, people are constantly on their phones and they can read really fine print. I don't know how they do it, but yes, they can manage it. Okay, so that, that's interesting. So what you said is, that, what is 10 million yen? How much in dollars does that make or in euros? Yeah, so you divide it by 100, basically. That's okay, so that's uh, 1 million, so 1 million yeah. USD. As, as if you reach 1 million USD, you will get an account manager. And that's where... Yeah. And yeah. yeah, they should be speaking English, but you, you might, it's probably a good idea to have a local uh, contact at least which can help you expedite things or get um, um, like a quicker um, co communication. I have a question here, which I think is, uh, fits really well in the discussion right now is in regards to Amazon Japan, how often are they buying American made products compared to local brands? So it's like, how is, uh, like, do you have an answer about, okay, American or like foreign, we could say European based or uh, other products. Is that a good opportunity? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. So, so of course, you know, Japanese people just adore anything American. Like they have this fascination for the West and uh, for the longest time, uh, that was the, the dreamland for everybody, right? So it, it used to be that anything made in the US was taken um, very seriously and they would just look up to it. But now, as we see most of the production of the world has moved to China, there is very little of made in USA that anybody sees, right? So even though you might claim to be an American company, everybody knows that you know production is happening in China or some of the Southeast Asian countries. And so some of that um, you know, um, uh, kind of, uh, desire for American goods has, you know, dropped over the years. Uh, however, if you are a foreign brand that's well known, um, and, uh, you know, Japanese people also know those foreign brands, then it is pretty natural to have kind of American models in your images or, you know, just um, using any of the Americanisms in your communication, uh, and it would fly okay, like it won't be rejected by the Japanese people. However, I do want to mention that Japanese people are extremely quality conscious and there's a very, very high trust barrier for anything that's foreign. So for that reason, while they will buy stuff from China, they have their own kind of dollar stores there. They're called 100 yen shops. They're everywhere. So there's a lot of people that go to those uh, places, but the perception of those goods is that they're commodity, they're cheap, and they're just use and throw. That's, that's it. If you're trying to market something that is, uh, you know, durable or long-lasting, then you've got to be um, breaking through a lot of trust barriers to be successful on Amazon Japan. Like you cannot just assume that just because you have a good listing and good photos, that people will actually buy your stuff. Uh, another example of that is supplements. There's a huge trust barrier on supplements. Like if you're trying to bring supplements into Japan. Of course, you'll have to go through all the lab testing and all that stuff to you know, get your certification and stuff like that. But in addition to that, when they look at uh, a supplement brand, they'll be like, what is this? Like, who are these people? Like, there is a huge um, 
you know, respect for doctors in Japan. So let's say a doctor says this is a good supplement, then the whole country will go buy it the next day. You know, that's how Japan operates. There's a virality to communication and anything that's seen on TV, discussed on TV, or has appeared in a few magazines or endorsed by celebrities, that stuff will just, you know, that will just go, that will just fly. So I think one of the strategies of um, American companies or foreign brands going into Japan is to combine your Amazon effort with some non-Amazon, like offline um, marketing, influencer marketing, those things would serve you better than trying to just push your way through, um, you know, just with sponsored advertising. Uh, there's got to be some extra stuff you need to do. Uh, with that said, uh, you know, a lot of small, you know, under $50 products do sell in Japan. Like if you look uh, and you search for a product similar to yours, you can just go on Amazon and see if there's anybody selling it. You'll find a 10 or 15 Chinese brands already there, right? So if you see that demand and if you see that those are moving units, then you do have an opportunity. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, uh, discount the fact that uh, even though it's not an American brand, uh, it, it will still sell. Uh, and the local local brands are well known already, so they will be able to tell uh, them apart. Like and any Japanese can tell, oh, this is a local local brand. This is a Chinese brand. This is an American brand. And, and it reminds me that your comment about quality reminds me one of our customers who's, who has a, a bag coming from uh, made in Switzerland. And he said that, uh, like most customers didn't really make a lot of comment, but one customer in, in, in Japan made really pictures and said, okay, in this small area, you've had 10 stitches here, but here is nine. So there's probably a problem with your quality of stitching. And he took a lot of pictures and an end consumer probably took hours to really survey that. And that's a kind of quality check you, you get in, yeah. in, in Japan, which is not usually what we see in the other countries, right? Right, right. And I can tell you another story uh, of uh, someone who purchased an, uh, an iPad uh, case, right? So the iPad case, which, which was meant to be compatible with a certain uh, iPad version, uh, came with, um, so it was a leather case that fit nicely. However, uh, it didn't have the right holes in the right places for the camera. And so this person was like, what is this? So then he had to kind of carve it out and um, <laughs> use the, the case uh, for what it was. But when he complained to Amazon about it, uh, apparently, um, when he went back the next time, that brand was gone. So, so I don't know what happened. They got suspended or negative reviews or whatever it was. Uh, quality reviews, you know, word of mouth, all of this stuff really, really matters in Japan. Um, so oh, yeah, I think that's one of the big learnings of today is like, it's important in general to have a quality product uh, to be successful in, in Amazon. But for me, globalization is that understanding how the customers apprehend and even in Europe it will be like a, a French people or German people or British people review products differently and if you look globally Indians are different and, and Japanese are very demanding so if you're if you believe your product is perfect you need to be careful because it could be really thrashed by people which are really uh, getting into detail so that that's great now one before we go into the, the details about advertising we have questions on that and and content one thing is like in terms of setting up accounts is it the same as in the us you have 1p you have 3p um 
is there any issues about importing? Can you open directly a seller account and do FBA? What are the like the main barriers in, in short uh, if you want to set up the business or start the business? Right, yeah. So uh, yes, FBA exists in uh, Japan. So it's uh, fairly mature. It's been around for about 10 years. Uh, so you won't have the hiccups that you might be having in other markets. Um, with uh, Japan, you don't need a local entity. That's a good thing. Uh, so you don't need to establish a company in Japan. You can be um, using your own kind of US bank account or UK bank account, uh, and you can do business with Amazon. Uh, I think there's two ways of going about selling on Japan. One could be through uh, just sell globally, uh, which basically enables uh, Amazon to sell your products in Japan and they kind of do the localization automatically through AI, uh, which is not very good, but you know, people will still see it and uh, they might buy, um, you know, so that's, that's one way. Uh, the other way is to create a, a separate Amazon Japan um, entity, um, which, which needs to be named different from your US or UK entity. Um, and most people just put a JP at the end of their store name. So whatever your name and is. Would you have a recommendation for one against the other? Um, um, I, I would say if you have your own entity, then you have a little bit more control and you know, Amazon won't do weird things like automatically, you know, uh, turning your, uh, you know, translation on or something like that. So you, your, your own uh, contribution would be uh, taken. And so I think that might be um, a better way of going about it, um, I think. Um, in terms of like importing stuff into Japan, you do need um, like an importer of record, someone who will receive your uh, goods and then forward them to FBA. Uh, and this person uh, will be responsible for answering to any custom duty kind of questions. Uh, so there's a few of those people out there that are providing this service and you can find them on the service provider network. Uh, on Amazon, um, uh, let's see, consumption tax, that's another kind of big uh, requirement in Japan, like you have to pay customs uh, or consumption tax upon um, uh, import. So it's not like you pay consumption tax after the fact, like in VAT or other, um, you know, similar kind of uh, tax taxation, uh, you, you pay after the fact, or when someone per makes the purchase, then you kind of uh, charge a percentage and then you claim it or, um, if we get it reversed, however, and what percentage are we talking about for this consumption tax? Yeah, it's ten percent uh, for for most products of and of end user prices. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So does that work? So like, when you have products. Let's say simple. It, it sells for hundred yens. Yeah. Uh, selling out. So you have ten, and it's a thousand. So you have to pay a hundred yeah. upfront, and then when you sell out, you will get that money back. Is that correct? Well, if you have a, a local Japanese, um, you know, entity, then you'll probably do the tax filing and you might claim it and so on. For most people, that's not going to be the case. So you pretty much want to write off the 10%. Like if you're uh, just testing it out right now in Japan, you can just assume that 10% needs to be paid upfront and it's gone. Like it's, 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 it's a, like an import tax. It's an import tax. Yeah. And whether your products sell or they don't sell, it doesn't matter. You still have to pay. Uh, that tax upon uh, import. And then if you have any, um, you know, tax consultants who can actually help you with uh, claiming, et cetera, that's, um, you know, that's itself is probably going to be more expensive than the amount that you're just going to write off. So depending on the size of your size of, Yeah, exactly. So depending on the size. And then again, if you have over 10 million um, 
in um, in, um, in yearly Sales. revenue, yes, um, then uh, you do need to file uh, you know taxes in Japan and let, let them know that you know this was your uh, you know income and whatnot. So so that part has to be taken care of, and it's a more recent change. They earlier they didn't require it, but now apparently they are requiring it. Uh, you know, people are still trying to find out uh, how to do it. The deadline, I think, for that is later on this year. So it's still fairly new. Um, so you might want to just read up about that. Um, so yeah, so those are some of the kind of statutory kind of challenges. Uh, you do need to get yourself registered in the four or five prefectures. I think it's four prefectures that Amazon has a warehouse and the FBA warehouse. Uh, wherever you know your goods go, those places need to be uh, tax registered so that um, you know you can freely send your products there. Okay, so just for me to understand, so you when you come in, you will have to pay your consumer tax, which is a bit like VAT or taxes in, in the US upfront, right? Then you start to sell. Um, before selling, you need to make sure you're registered in those uh, prefectures, as you said. Okay, and then, so you register. Can you do that as a foreigner or do you need to have uh, like local support? You will need local support, but you can, uh, you know, enroll as a foreign company with a local importer of record. They will typically do all of this. Uh, they will help you register in the, the four prefectures and then they will also kind of um, make sure that all of your invoices are properly labeled, etc. So the invoices need to be in a certain format, which these guys know how to do, and uh, it needs to have some matching data from Seller Central, etc. So there are some de details there with which an importer of record will know how to deal with. So it's not like an unsolved problem. It is uh, very much uh, within reach if, if you just do your research a little bit. Okay, so... You've, you've paid your uh, consumer taxes at the beginning, you've registered, now you sell out, you have to, so you're, you're going to collect this consumer tax on your end user price rate when you're selling. Does that work like VATs, like you, you have one part which is the consumer tax or not really? And so the consumption tax is just paid, it's a flat 10% that is paid um, upfront, and then you don't have to worry about it unless- okay, So it's just, if you make yeah. more profit, you can yeah, calculate those 10% if you want in your price and that's okay. So yeah. clear. And yeah. like, that doesn't mean that you will have to, uh, you don't pay anything else once you've paid that upfront tax, there's no more other taxes on the sales at least. There's, yeah, there won't be more taxes. It's just that you have to file it. You just have to report it. That's the that's the only thing that they want. Okay, clear. Okay, very good. So I assume that's true when you're a seller, but you could be a vendor. You could be a one P uh, party also to Amazon, meaning you sell to Amazon, right? That exists in, in Japan. And in this case, there's no consumer tax, right? Because then that's Amazon who is importing the product. <laughs> Well, I don't think I'll be able to answer that question because I haven't dealt with the the one piece scenario. It might be fairly new, or I'm I'm not exactly sure about that. So I think that's something uh, people who are interested in one piece. Usually, what I've heard is that Amazon contacts you. It's not like you go seeking that, right? So if you are a big seller from a foreign uh, geography, then you know you've got to be pretty big for Amazon to to reach out to you and say, hey, can you sell us your products? So. When that happens, then you basically follow through on that uh, on okay. that path and and see what is needed. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I would say. Great. So 
Awesome. So we've we've understood. Okay, that um, like the market makes sense. It's very big. We've understood. Okay, we could open an FBA account. We need to find us an importer of record who will help us do the different stuff. Now we get all the the fun begins. Right. We want to make sure the content is localized, and then we want to do advertising. So let's first focus on on the content. So. As Europeans, we know that content localization is super important because like if you want to sell to Germans, to uh, Spanish, to Italians, to French, or to British, you need to localize your content. Now, I, I believe that in, in, Jap in Japan or so, so that's the first question is like, is the content in English or is it in English and in Japanese? And probably there's different ways of writing Japanese. So what, what's your, the general rules for Japan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so there are uh, four scripts in Japan. So there's the kanji script, which is imported from China. So that's part of their language. There's the hiragana script, which is a local Japanese script for Japanese words. And it's used uh, to phonetically describe the kanji characters, right? So that's the second script. Then there's katakana, which is a script used for describing foreign words like Starbucks, or um, you know Nike or whatever whatever those words are they will be written in that uh, other script and then you have the Romaji which is the English alphabet uh, but that's um, you know they use a mix of all four of them so the funny thing is that if you look at um, any um, you know if you look at um, a magazine or if you look at uh, you know some sort of um, uh, you know picture of a, of a place that is prominent like uh, Akihabara or Shinjuku or one of those big you know shopping districts you will see all the signboards uh, using a mix of all the languages so they could be leading you into the shop with a English you know title but inside they might use Japanese and uh, so there's that uh, happening so you know you as as um, uh, as sellers, as merchants, and also as advertisers, it, it poses a big challenge because uh, we need to kind of cater for any variation of those uh, different scripts being presented, um, you know, in a search query, for example. So we've got to, you know, optimize our listings in a way that speaks to whatever is top of mind for the usage of certain words. So, so it is a challenge. Yeah. yeah. If, if you look, for example, in Germany, you can switch the language from German to English, actually in, in every country. Uh, and in Germany, for example, it's very important to have English keywords because a lot of uh, actually English speaking people are going on on the Amazon Germany. Now, how does that work with Japanese and English? Like, do you have pages in both languages what, or what's a major one? How do you handle keywords? Yeah, so it is the same uh, with Japan as well. There is a drop down and you can switch your languages and um, you'll, you'll notice that you will be able to switch to the other language and Amazon will just use this machine translation to convert it to the other language um, so that, you know, people don't see any gaps and they're able to read whatever is on there. Uh, but the quality of that uh, is not that great. So you want to make sure that you have highly optimized listings with the titles, the bullet points, and the images all localized. Uh, and by localization, I don't just mean translation. Localization actually includes a bunch of different things. One, of course, is the language and understanding how it's different. Two is the aesthetic. So the aesthetic needs to be aligned with Japanese taste 
in order for it to even even catch their attention you know it, it has to be appealing enough so they can look at it and have that element of trust right those images should should kind of speak trust um, right in them and then the third um, aspect uh, of course is you know culture right How, what's the right way of saying something you might have your marketing copy from um, you know like a US listing or a UK listing but it might not be embedded with the you know the style that the way it is presented right it might come up come across as being too straight or too harsh or too um too incomplete like japanese people love detail they will read the fine print they will read the back of <laughs> a supplement uh, and read everything on it uh, instructions are great manuals they love manuals uh, you know any kind of infographic explaining this versus that before, after, they just love that kind of stuff. So, you know, making sure that your listings are rich enough to cater to all those aspects, not just the algorithm, which is SEO enabled and all that, but also the, you know, the consumer appeal, because if that's missing, then you're, you're probably not gonna uh, be successful on Japan. Okay, so in, in your experience from foreign uh, brands, being in Europe, being in the US, is how difficult is it to uh, change your your mindset? Because in a sense, like it's uh, in cultures where nobody's reading manuals and probably brands are not are not really paying attention, right? So how difficult is that? What, what's the best practice for that? Is that to find someone in, in like who's in Japan and saying, okay, you know what, you know how to and create a lot of things which we don't have for other countries, create different pictures because if sometimes you see Japanese listings coming or like pictures coming up on the Amazon US and you say, wow, that's, you know, there's a lot of characters, a lot of um, uh, colors and stuff. And it's, it's, it is different. So what's your tip in terms of, okay, how to really uh, localize? Because here localization, as you said, is not only translation, it's really putting yourself in the shoes of the customer and say, okay, he wants, he wants a very big instruction manual and you've done a very simple one because nobody reads it in your market. How do you, what, what's your tip there? Right, yeah. You know, there's always gonna be a trade-off between uh, the perfection that you're seeking with uh, a listing uh, and cost, right? And a lot of people who are just testing the market with J Japanese, uh, they wanna just do it fast and they wanna test it, right? But of course, if you just do a half job and uh, kind of get into the Japanese market and not have a good early experience, you're not likely to continue there, right? You'll probably say, oh, this is not for me and back off. So, you know, I think if you're really uh, ready for Japan, then do your research first, see if you can actually get the right people to do a good job from the get-go. Because, you know, as you know, everything in on Amazon is data-driven. So if you're establishing yourself as a seller, you have a good history, you have, you know, everything going uh, positive for you, then your chances of success in Japan are also much, much higher. But if you cheap out on, you know, translation or just using machine translation or just using any translator who doesn't understand J J Japan, um, you know, or, or, you know, slightly better would be maybe look looking at a Japanese person or a native Japanese speaker to do the translation, but they don't understand, Jap you know, Amazon Japan. Um, or they don't understand SEO, then all of those things might lead to failures. But again, like I said, there's a trade-off between the per perfect uh, listing, which requires an ongoing, as we know, it requires ongoing work. It's not just do it once and then it's done because 
what if it doesn't take off? There's new keywords that are coming in the market. There's new discoveries you're making. There's new backend terms that you know you are having to fill up and so on. So it does require some commitment from your side to go to Japan. Uh, it will require um, a mindset that yeah, I've got to make this work. Uh, and for that, you, you've got to do a lot of things right, uh, especially PPC, right? PPC becomes super important because the algorithm there is different. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier is that uh, there are no spaces in, um, in a sentence. So you have words that run into each other. There's no space. So um, that, that makes it, you know, the algorithm very different because uh, how do you separate the words? Uh, the other challenge with the algorithm is that you could either use a phonetic expression for a kanji character, or you could use the kanji character. So either one of them would be um, a word and uh, the algorithm has to recognize that. So if we can assist the algorithm by designing our listings in a way that gets it uh, with us injecting the appropriate spaces uh, or us making sure that we've captured all the variations, um, you know, if, if we can do that, then we will be assisting the, the, the results. And so let's stop for a second on SEO before jumping into PPC is like, how do you do SEO then? It's like you need to know a bit and like be knowledgeable about Jap Japanese and Amazon. So you, how do you do? You, you put English keywords and Japanese keywords in different, um, in different written in different ways. How, how, because there's not like endless space on on the listings. At least on PPC, it's different, but on the listing, how do you how do you so how do you judge what's the best um, SEO approach? Right, yeah, so I think uh, Amazon has provided us with a huge uh, repository in the brand analytics, right? So that would be my starting point. I would look for words there that have a higher, um, you know, or, or low, lower search frequency rank so that you can find the most popular variations um, and then try to, you know, introduce those into your listing prominently in the title and the bullet points. Um, and then, of course, you want to do your research so that you expand out to all the low-hanging fruit, which, as we know, sits in the long tail. And when, when we talk long tail in Japan, it's not just long tail in terms of length of the word. It's also the other variations that are less frequently used, you know, and so they become the long tail for, for Japanese. Um, and, and so, yes, you need a Japanese um, speaker, right, you know, person who thinks in Japan, Japanese uh, to be able to do a really, really good job. But like I said earlier, again, it's a it's a trade-off. Like if you can go to that extent, then you are you know successful. If not, you're probably going to be uh, probably going to see mediocre results. Okay, so that like wow, then automatic campaigns should <laughs> yield enormous amounts of of keywords because if you have multiple ways of writing the first same keywords and and stuff, so that that's enormous. So okay, great, thank. I think for, for it's clear on the content. Let's jump into advertising, which is uh, your your sweet spot, they say, um, and start with a question from from the crowd: Is how is advertising in Japan different compared to other Amazon locations? And let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the vehicles for advertising, we have all of them in Japan, right? We uh, we didn't have uh, a few like video ads uh, up until last year. Uh, we didn't have, um, you know, the auto campaigns that have uh, four auto targeting groups up until two years ago. So some of the rollouts in Japan have been, of course, slower, which is uh, pretty natural for Amazon to first test in the US or English markets and then roll them out into Japan. But at this point, it's pretty much caught up. 
uh, in terms of all the vehicles. So we have all the sponsored displays and the videos and everything, just the way it runs in other markets. Um, in fact, now they've also started um, pro you know, providing the ability for us to upload image, localized images in, in J Japan. Earlier, they were like merged. If it was the same ASIN, you had to deal with the English uh, listing everywhere, right? So that's uh, improved now. Um, yeah, in terms of like the actual advertising, um, I think it's the, it comes down to the language, you know, you know, understanding the language as much as possible. If you can have, um, you know, of course, Japanese staff or people who understand the, the language, they can uh, help to extract those keywords from time to time, refresh your listings and um, do the right things with whatever they discover. But if you don't have it, then at least you should be running auto campaigns and discovering, like you said, uh, you should be running auto campaigns to discover keywords and use tools. Like our, our software also helps with keyword discovery. Um, and uh, I know there's a few other softwares that do that. Um, so discovering keywords and then, you know, um, placing them back into, into manual campaigns, all that bit that you guys already know, it's not changing. That's that's going to be uh, there. I think so the, the principles are the yeah. same, right? Do you have the same campaign, yeah. sponsored prime looks, sponsored brands, uh, display, sponsored display. This the environment is the same, and it's yeah. really the language which is uh, different. And like, if you're working only with English keyword, this will not be enough, right? You need to like integrate the different idioms or the different ways of uh, writing the keywords, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, the keyword research and uh, advertising on those keywords becomes very, very uh, tied together. Like there's e an even greater um, synergy between those two um, aspects. So I think the flywheel needs a good balance of uh, good SEO and good PPC um, for, for you to succeed. Yeah, and the the because sometimes the, like the the font is a is the problem, right? Because not the all characters cannot that don't work in every uh, font and so on. Is this Amazon system very able to handle all the different fonts? Like you don't get issues about having the character which is not exactly precise. Uh, how, how does that work? Is that very simple? Uh, because if you make a research using your tool, there are, like you said, other tools, will they give you like the right characters straight away or are there things you need to be careful about? Right, yeah, yeah. So the double byte characters, uh, the single byte, double byte uh, in ja Japanese language. So the double byte characters uh, do sometimes come out garbled when you use certain tools. Like I've seen that happen uh, with one of the tools I've been using, uh, not PPC Ninja, one of the other tools that I've used for keyword research, where you get an export that is in certain browsers, it is just gobbledygook. Like you can't even read it, it's not Japanese. Um, but in certain other browsers. So there's some plugins that might be uh, causing that. I'm not exactly uh, sure about that, but um, on Amazon, it's all supported. So I don't, I don't think there should be a problem there. Um, Amazon is able to handle uh, the double byte characters of, of, uh, of Japan. Okay, so a typical strategy of starting with an automatic campaign, yielding uh, keywords and then putting them in your manual campaigns and, and so on, that, that works. Now, how do you work with phrases and like, uh, because specifically on the one with the long characters and so on, like it's probably very difficult to understand for a non-Japanese speaker. Okay, how do you like broad or exact, all those things, that's probably a bit difficult, right? Um, yeah, so so the thing is that, um, you know, with the broad match uh, on English, 
uh, Amazon will take in like florals and things like that, right? Some other variations, very close to NNMs, they, they will be accepted. Whereas in Japanese, that's not the case. So it's not like a broad match for uh, a katakana will generate uh, a search result in hiragana. That won't happen. So it won't cross your different scripts. Those scripts will be treated separately. So it's almost like you need to do research for every um, one of those different um, uh, scripts. You, you um, need to be very explicit, let's say, or very like yes. precise and not expect the system to be uh, doing yes. that for you, right? Yes, especially because of the fact that Japanese is a phonetic language as well as a pictorial language. It's really a challenge because you know, you might have a Chinese character, which almost looks like a block with some, you know, um, you know, characters going here and there. Now, the simplified version of that is the pronunciation of, of that block. So let's say if there's a block that's, that reads as ka, that's uh, a word. Now that can be a word by itself, or it could be a part of a larger word. And so when you put the phonetic on that and you say, like, let's say ka, and when it comes to um, the Romaji script, if you say ka, uh, then that KA could be anything. It could be um, 500 other uh, characters that are pronounced the same way. So it's not the same word. It is just the pronunciation of that. So Amazon has to really, it's a challenge for Amazon, right? The algorithm uh, has to understand that KA doesn't always mean this thing. It could mean 500 other things. Um, and so that's kind of where it becomes a little challenging. So I guess for people who are absolutely going to go in blind without any Japanese knowledge, it will be tough. But um, thankfully, the auto campaign will take care of some of that and help you discover keywords um, that you can then start creating um, manual campaigns with. Uh, to be fair, I remember an example of um, we had uh, we were working with a brand and they had the, the word angel in in their uh, in their name. And the system thought that it was a mistake, and they were showing angle, and oh, yeah. and the, and you can't change it. Like the system has to understand on its own, learning that at, after some point nobody is interested when they're typing angel uh, to for angles. So I presumably that's working also yeah. in Japanese. Like the system is learning, and yeah. it's like and from what we were talking with amazon they they get they don't want to inter interfere they let the right. system learn on its own but but that means you could have three weeks of of uh, you know uh, organic which will not work because your product will never appear so I, I think that's a very um uh, very important fact that it looks quite complicated so my take on that is like you really need probably a local uh, support to if you really want to do a great job uh, maybe not first step but if you want to scale to make sure you've got this understanding because otherwise uh, from where i sit here it looks, looks yeah. very very uh, complicated right right yeah i think I, I just want to share my screen if it's okay and just give them yeah. uh, people who are able to see uh, the screen a flavor of what those uh, you know, characters look like, so you know what I'm talking about. Here, I'm just gonna share my screen. Uh, okay, so if you can see here, I've provided the four scripts, uh, the hiragana, kanji, katakana, and English. Now, all of these characters that you see at the bottom here, they all are pronounced as sa, right? So, S-A, sa. Um, but uh, the, uh, the second one, the kanji, uh, is, is um, you know, some people will use this in conjunction with something else, 
they might use this along with a different script in the same word. That's the other challenge. You might have this um, kanji uh, being used along with the hiragana part of it, and that becomes a different word. Um, so, so this makes it kind of interesting. Um, uh, and and the, the one word of caution would be negative keywords. If you're doing negative keywords in Japanese, you have to be extremely cautious because uh, you, if, you, if you block off this uh, or any of these characters, then it could block off potentially a pronunciation of a different word that is um, is using is using it, it, yeah, it's, exactly exactly so that makes it a little tricky so i would be i would go easy on the negative keywords don't don't do your typical negative keywording strategy that you use with um, you know with with kind of english and uh, other languages yeah okay very, very interesting i have a couple of questions here yeah. who dominates the market local sellers or international sellers Oh yes, it will be local sellers. They so the thing is, um, let me uh, show you what different um, markets. When you say markets, uh, I'm gonna try and give you um, an idea of the whole market, not just Amazon. So you, you kind of see what 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 is going on there. So uh, again, let me share my screen because this is interesting. Um, so before Amazon came Rakuten, and so if anybody wants to really study Amazon Japan. It might be a good idea to study Rakuten because Amazon likes to ape whatever is the best, right? So they will uh, try to copy Rakuten, and they are they are copying Rakuten in a lot of ways. And so you can kind of get an idea of like what's to come because Rakuten has recently, or I think since last year, they started this thing called time sales, uh, which are this uh, two-day event every month. Uh, that they kind of widely broadcast on television and every other channel. And then on those two days, people basically queue up their baskets and they rush to Rakuten on, on those days and grab those deals. Now, Amazon started following that. And so that's a challenge for, for most um, uh, sellers because, you know, um, they're expecting deals. It's almost like having a mini prime day in the middle of the month. Uh, you need to be prepared for something like that. Uh, but coming back here to all the markets on Amazon, uh, sorry, uh, in Japan. So here's what uh, I'm showing uh, here is the Amazon COJP, which was started in 2000. But of course, uh, FBA was much more recent. This is just when Amazon was selling books and other stuff there. Um, you can see here the graph of uh, growth in, um, in the uh, middle of the pandemic here. Uh, then it started tapering off a little bit uh, because um, you know not everybody wants to buy on Amazon. There's this biggest competitor, Rakuten, that gets more monthly visitors, 350 million visitors, um, and uh, they are the leaders in you know in um, I guess loyalty because they are a homegrown brand, and so uh, Japanese people love homegrown. They love their um, you know, they're, they're, yeah, there's a, a little bit of nationalism there, but uh, they will prefer to buy uh, on Rakuten because it, it breeds more trust, I guess. Um, but uh, Amazon has gained uh, a lot of trust, uh, especially during the, the pandemic uh, with, you know, quick deliveries, um, you know, convenience and, you know, just, just the customer centricness of Amazon. It's just won over a lot of hearts and uh, there's that. But remember that there's the youngsters that would not buy from either Rakuten or uh, Amazon. They have their own sites, right? 
peer-to-peer marketplaces are extremely popular in Japan. This is basically auctions or similar to eBay, right? You have Yahoo auctions, you have Mercari, you have Rakuma. It's almost like a flea market online. So you have a lot of that, which also takes up a lot of the uh, online e-commerce uh, kind of space. And um, yeah, so, so there's, it's not just that. Um, you can also find e-commerce sites for different generations. So the younger generation has a different, uh, what I'm showing here on the screen is dmm.com uh, or .co.jp. There's another one called Zozo Town or Wauma. These are all the kind of local, um, you know, youngster oriented where they can buy games and, you know, that kind of trinkets, things like that. So whenever you get into Japan, make sure you do your product market fit and also find your channel because not all products will sell um, well on each channel, right? Um, uh, the, the older generation, for example, will prefer Rakuten. The, the middle-aged uh, will probably prefer Amazon because of speed and convenience and all that stuff. The younger will go to these places for most products, but to, to Amazon for some products. So it's a little, uh, it requires a little bit of um, research um, for your product to market fit uh, and channel to market, uh, channel to product fit as well. And um, uh, Ritu, could we say, for example, that the strategy would be to start on Amazon because it's easier for people who already have got experience on Amazon elsewhere and that you, but that you probably will want to expand in other marketplaces after because probably depending on your category or your audience, you will want to reach, if you want to reach everyone, you will need to go on to other marketplaces. Right, yeah, so first of all, I would do a, a, a search. I would start with search on Amazon. Is your product visible, there? your type of product already selling on Amazon uh, Japan or not? So if you're selling, let's gel cushions or something like that, do you, you wanna go to uh, Amazon and look, look up gel cushion and see what shows up. If what shows up is similar to what you have, that, that's a good uh, indication of product uh, to market fit on, on Amazon. And then you can use certain tools that can help you figure out like monthly um, sales and things like that. So you wanna establish that first. Then I think another thing to consider would be price point. Like if your price is, if you're selling products under $50, then you know it's fine. You have an easier time getting in, but then you have a harder time getting profitable because you know advertising is still gonna be expensive, right? So you've gotta have margins to support your advertising and other efforts. Oh, I think we lost Jerome. Okay, I'll, I'll keep going. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So, so basically, the um, the cost of of your product, uh, how much you're going to sell it for, uh, that would be your next consideration because um, you know you want to make sure that uh, if you're selling an expensive product, then you need a different strategy. You'll probably have to really do uh, a market research to see. Will this product even sell uh, in, in, in on Amazon? So a lot of the products that you see on Amazon Japan might even be people selling globally or trying to sell globally, and they're just showing up there as listings, right? They may not be uh, the ones that people intentionally kind of went over and, and created those listings from scratch with. So um, I think that's um, that's what I would say. And then if you are a really big brand or or you're supporting a really big brand, then uh, consider uh, alternative. Um, additional kind of um, uh, strategies for attacking that new market. Uh, for example, uh, through uh, viral campaigns, like um, 
you know, I know that TV is a big thing, finding influencer, right? Those kind of things will help create that word of mouth because like I said earlier, uh, Japanese people absolutely love uh, celebrities. They love what celebrities buy and share and that kind of stuff. So uh, those people, if they can endorse uh, your products, then you have a way better chance at success uh, than if you, um, you know, if you're just going um, solo and then you're just looking at Amazon. So Jean is back. Uh, we lost you for a bit, <laughs> but yeah, I thought I had lost you. You had left, but actually it was me leaving. <laughs> yes, I kept going. <laughs> oh, did we lose you again? Looks like we did. Oops. Okay, so I'm gonna look in the chat to see if anybody has any questions. Uh, feel free to type in your questions um, into the chat, and I will be happy to answer. Um, so I guess I don't see any yes, questions. The wife. You're back. You're back. Yay. It's like it's technology. So thank you very much, Fitu. Apologies. Yes. So did you see the question about uh, the strategy launching in Japan? Um, okay, okay, there we go. I see one. The strategy launching in Japan. Is it better to launch when your brand is slightly established or when you have a few products uh, represent your brand? Is it okay to start with a single product? Like how would we do, like how we do in US, uh, USA platform? Um, yeah, so I think uh, there's no harm in starting with a single product uh, because you do want to test the waters. You do want to see if there is a, a market for your product and um, there, um, there might be, um, uh, like I said, you want to do your research first. You want to make sure that 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 there is a demand for that product. You're not just going there, you know, just because you have a good uh, bestseller on the U.S. market that that will that will sell in Japan. That's not a given. So you do want to make sure that you do your research there. But other than that, I don't think there's any harm in starting with one, with the intention that you will add more. Because once you get some velocity, you want to keep going, right? You don't want to just do it for for one uh, for a one-off. Uh, another question is, are there- As usual, just before we close, we get all the questions. We have uh, all the questions, okay. <laughs> so yes. is there any specific categories that are more competitive than others entering on Amazon Japan? And is there a recommended price point? So categories yeah. and price points. Yes, uh, so I think uh, in terms of categories, if you go to Amazon's um, you know, bestseller uh, recommendation page, you will see all the categories that are that sell a lot, right? Those, um, so I, I think uh, I was looking it up uh, this morning. There is uh, things like um, you know, uh, electronics, video games, they love video games, uh, home and kitchen, clothes and accessories, beauty for the home, computers, accessories, toys, uh, personal care, sports and fitness. During COVID, the uh, there was a burst of you know uh, like uh, sports equipment, working from home, workout from home, that kind of thing. Uh, there was technology for the desk, um, you know, docking stations and things like that. So all of that has now started to uh, come down a bit because things have opened up. I went there last week and it was fine. Everybody was moving around. No, didn't feel like the pandemic was on at all. So I think things might have changed uh, there. Uh, but I mean, technological I, I, products or like tech products are probably more competitive because of the people being very like interested. Yes, always. So the electronics market is very, very tough. I, I wouldn't uh, recommend starting with that for sure. 
Um, and there's always little, uh, if, if your product is under $50, there's always going to be need to products from China. There's, there's, the market is flooded with those, right? So um, yeah, if you go into electronics, unless you have a really good established product that you're also willing to put some money behind, I wouldn't recommend kind of starting with that. The kind of products that do sell in Japan uh, on Amazon and are purchased widely are the you know commodity items for the home or you know use and throw kind of thing or one season wear that kind of stuff that's almost like a no-brainer uh, those products do sell or they, they move a lot of units uh, but of course you'll have to do your research on how many units are available right so you'll have to see how big the market is and see your, your slice of the pie Great. Well, thank you very much, Ritu. I did promise to keep it to one hour. <laughs> I yeah. should have promised not to get unconnected, but that I didn't promise, thank God, because uh, that was a difficult one. Thank you very much, Ritu, for <laughs> jumping in and handling the situation very well. Thank you very much, everyone. You will get a copy of, of, uh, of the recording with all the technical details and, and failures which we've had, which was fun. And have let everyone have a good day or a good evening and uh, see you very soon. Thank you very much, Ritu. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.